Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 48. We are going to conclude our study in the book of Genesis. We started it in the fall of 2018. We've had to dip out for uh, seasons at times, but um, today we're going to bring it to a conclusion, hopefully to a climax uh, in a very real way, but something that kind of sticks it to us in a way that we can walk away and remember and walk in light of what we have learned Two brief reminders for our church. Tonight at 6.30, our night of worship in here, we will be installing four elder candidates. We want to encourage you to come be a part of that. Uh, We haven't done this in a number of years, but we're really excited about these four candidates that we've put before you. So 6.30 tonight. And then this is another thing that's, that's taking place that's phenomenal to report to you thrills my heart. Things are happening faster than we can tell you. We have a family this weekend who got the call late last week. All the paperwork was finished and they are out this weekend to go and pick up their adoptive daughter. And so would you pray for safety and travel, for all of the details that have to take place uh, over the weekend. Uh, Powerful moment. Um, but we're looking forward to sharing that story and, and several other adoptive stories with you uh, as opportunity presents itself. Okay, Genesis 48. This is the fifth part of looking at Joseph's character. We've been following the life of Joseph under Jacob's lineage or generation. Um, and today we're going to culminate With looking at life perspective, life perspective, this is the fifth part of Joseph's character that we've looked at. And the reason I I qualified it as Joseph's character, because we've been seeing, first of all, who the man was, Joseph, and how it was that he lived his life. And because of that, we see that he's not only a, uh, a type for us of Jesus Christ, that we can see his life and see indications of the one who's coming for us, but also he is a model for us of how it is by faith that he trusted to follow the Lord and how we can follow the Lord as well. Now, when we come to Genesis 48, Joseph's whole family has come to Egypt to dwell. If you'll remember from last week, Pharaoh sent his chariots and it was a royal procession all the way back to Canaan and then picked them up and delivered them all the way back to Goshen of Egypt to dwell. And because of this, because of his love for Joseph, they were not only brought royally, but they were received royally with their blessings, with the land that was bestowed upon them. They were rewarded as royalty. And the scripture says it was because of Pharaoh's love for Joseph that he treated Jacob and his whole family this way. And there's just an echo of the life that we have in Jesus Christ because of the satisfaction that God the Father has with him on the cross. When we by faith put our trust in Jesus and receive new life from him, 
the love of God is poured out upon our lives, lavished, John says, in overwhelming, overflowing, generous form. But at this time, his family's been reunited and the process of reconciliation is beginning. And so much has happened through the years as we've tracked not only Joseph's life, but his father Jacob and his grandfather and his great-grandfather as well. Abraham and Isaac and then Jacob and his family. But here in chapters 48 to 50, we are shown their end. We come to an end of their life. You know, seeing the end of life has a sobering and clarifying effect on all of life, does it not? When, when, you, when you are forced, most of, us are, most of us are forced, we, we do not readily sit down and go, hey, I'm going to look at the end of life today, you know? Uh, who wants to be the model to present it to me? <laughs> we, we don't think of it that way, but when we are confronted by it, there is a sobering, clarifying effect for us that it holds upon our life. And a person who rests their life at the end of their life in the peace and the love and the grace and the goodness of God is the most glorious of all hopes because we know it is not the end. We know it is not the end. And the last three chapters of Genesis record for us the most celebrated aspects of Jacob's life and of Joseph's life. And we're going to see a snapshot that captures the core of their whole lives in these chapters today. Now, no spoiler alert, you have to track with me through the whole sermon to get there and see that. But you know, when we think about Jacob, we recognize that he held no fairy tale perspective of his life. Here's what he told Pharaoh when he came back to Egypt. He stood before Pharaoh and he said this, few and evil have been the days of my life. Jacob was a man who understood he was nowhere near perfect. And all that he did was not good. He had encountered much evil in his life. But he also knew this. That the only thing that was more consistent than the few and evil days of his life were this. That nothing had thwarted God's blessing and the fulfilling of God's promise to him. And in the end, Jacob remained ready to bless others. And that's what these chapters are filled with. The blessing of Jacob passed on to the coming or to the other generations now, arguably, the challenge of the Christian life is this. When we're confronted by these verses in these chapters, how is it that we encounter all of the evil of this world and remain full of God's love, God's grace, and God's goodness and blessing for others? You know, it is said that a majority of people who do not believe in God cite the reality of evil in the world as the reason. So they say things like, well, if God were really a loving, caring, compassionate, gracious God, then evil would not exist the way it does in the world. I mean, why does so much bad happen? And it's as if every time something bad happens, it's further proof that God does not exist. And then they ask things like this, well, if, if God really existed, 
then good things would not happen to bad people and bad things would not happen to good people. But you see, friends, that's not a philosophy that is rooted in the gospel. It may be fate. It might be karma. It might be some other philosophy of of a religion that says, you know, tit for tat, yin and yang, these kinds of things. And, And I'm not making a a derogatory statement about any of those. But these are all philosophies of life. And what we're talking about today is what philosophy of life, what perspective are we applying to the way that we see our lives each and every day? You see, these kinds of questions, I would argue, should not drive one away from God, but to God, because only the gospel of Jesus Christ holds any hope in the midst of evil. When every other religion kind of throws their hands up and goes, oh well, what do you do? It happens, whatever. The gospel doesn't say that. It says something completely counterintuitive to the ways of the world. And that's what we're laboring for today. You see, it's this deep conviction that the gospel of Jesus Christ holds hope in the midst of any amount of evil and suffering and in every portion of good and glory in the world. It's this deep conviction that forms the way a Christian discerns and understands all of life. It's a root for us. It is a foundation. And that's why today is so important. You see, the Christian's life perspective is the way that one holds to God in the midst of all that is faced in this world. Of everything that is faced in this world. What I want you to walk away with today is simply this. That a Christian discerns all things to understand the world and all of life by the promise of God in Jesus Christ. The gospel is not just a message to us or about us. It is a message for us. For us to take hold of until it takes so deeply hold of us that it controls everything that we do in life. Even so, the way that we see, the way that we understand, the way that we interpret so that we apply all of life to bring glory to God and to bring good to ourselves and to other people. I want to present to you today as we walk through these chapters three practices to build and to hold a life perspective of glorifying God in all of life. Three practices. You say, why practices? Because at the end of the day, the way we see life is only truly revealed by the things that we do. You want to know what a person believes? Look at what they do. Their actions will not betray their convictions. And so let's go to Genesis chapter 48. Let's begin reading here. I'm going to read the first five verses and then we'll continue. After this, Joseph was told, behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, 
God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. Let's stop there. Why is that important? Well, for one, two of the tribes of Israel were not sons of Jacob, but grandsons of Jacob, who in biblical times, he took them to be his sons, which is not counterintuitive or is not in any way um, uh, wrong. As a matter of fact, I think it still holds with grandparents today. They gladly would steal their grandchildren, probably have them first if they could just get past all the difficulties of children, right? I know some of you, your kids are still under two, so you're not sure what that means. You'll learn. (laughs) that's, That's all a joke. Joseph brings his two sons to Jacob And what does this say? I love the way this interplay of names happens. When it's Jacob and Joseph interacting, it's Jacob and Joseph. When God is speaking of Jacob, it is Israel. Why? Because he's pointing us to his promise. He's pointing us to his promise. Friends, God's promises are more sure and real than you and I sitting in this room right now. Don't ever question that. As sure as God is, always has been and forevermore shall be are his promises to us. And that's what it's reminding us. It points us to God's promise and to his blessing on Jacob's life. And and, and that's when it says that Jacob bows himself to Joseph and to his sons. You see, he's trusting God's promise and as he testifies that that, that he he does not, uh, uh, that, that, Uh, As Jacob testifies, it tells us that trusting God's promises does not give us some kind of get out of hardship, get out of evil, or get out of suffering free card. We don't bypass the difficulties of life. Rather, in walking through them, we find that God is there with us in them. And it doesn't guard us against allowing any of those things from damaging or destroying our faith. Maybe one of the most common phrases that I continue to hear in the last four to five years is the deconstructing of my faith. It's like it's taken hold in this generation and everybody who at some point showed up at church in some way now wants to talk about deconstructing their faith. You know what we used to call that? You know what it still is? Rebellion, unbelief, that's all it is. It's not a new thing. There's nothing new under the sun. But Jacob and Joseph show us a different way here, friends. And holding to God's promise grants one the understanding of why and how God works through all circumstances to overcome them in you, to produce even more love, joy, peace, and blessing for others. Ask yourself this, have you ever asked of God, why God? (laughs) And and when he answered that, or, or maybe he told you something else, you said, well, how God? 
you ever wanted to ask those questions, which we all have, this message today answers those questions. It forms the Christian's first practice to hold a life perspective of glorifying God in all. Practice number one is this, hold to God's promise in Jesus Christ. Hold to God's promise in Jesus Christ. The promise of God that came to Jacob and then to Joseph in the appearance and in the dreams is the same kind of promise that they held to, that you and I hold to, in the reality and the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. When Jacob shares the Lord's appearance to him and the blessing that God had placed on him, he points us to remember the call of God that is on our life and salvation by faith in Jesus. I I mean, when I'm faced with difficulty and challenge in my life, there's a moment in time that I can always go back to that reminds me. It's that moment when at the, the side of my bed in the middle of the night, God saved me. You say, why is that so impactful? Because I didn't believe he could then. I didn't believe he would then, but he did. And when I'm facing things that I don't know if he can or if he will, I'm reminded that he has. And it's sufficient to trust his promise. You see, relationship with God by grace through faith in Jesus defines everything about our life as a Christian And the Christian's whole life is defined by our new identity in Christ. Every relationship, every experience of life, and all of life. This is why Paul instructs the Romans and how it is that we are to approach our daily lives when he teaches this. In Romans chapter 14, verses 7 through 9, he says this, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. And as I've cited very many times over the last several weeks to help us understand this whole narrative. So I remind us today, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 teaches that our relationship with God through Jesus Christ determines how we live our whole life. And here it is in a phrase, verses 14 and 15 of 2 Corinthians 5, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this. You hear, that is a conviction that is anchored in our soul and it is anchored so deeply that it controls. And by controlling, it does not mean a force from outside, but the word also can be accurately interpreted, compels. It is a force from within. That one has died for all, therefore all have died You hear Galatians 2.20 there? I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 15, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You see, a Christian views all of life by God's call on our life to live 
for him, fully confident that we will always live with him. We live all of our life for him because of his call on our life, fully confident that we will always live with him. You see, consider Jacob's example in Genesis chapter 48 and and verse 12. Go down to verse 12. Then Joseph removed them from his knees and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. This is how this takes place. This is how we uh, practice this first practice uh, of holding to God's promise in Jesus Christ. Jacob provides this for us here. It says, after he blessed his grandson, making them his own son, he blesses each of his sons. And the way that he goes about this, the way that he prepares for all this was that, that, that he simply humbled himself to what God wanted to do in him and through him. That, that's what's taking place here. We, we hold to God's promise how when we humble ourselves before him. The, a father would never bow to a son. That that is antithetical to the culture and to the practices of this day. But what Jacob is saying is that the promise that God gave to me is coming through you and through my offspring. And so for him to bow to his sons is humbling himself in the greatest of ways to the plan of God. That's why James tells us, humble yourselves before the Lord and in time he will exalt you. That's why Peter echoes the same words that we should humble ourselves before the Lord and in his time and in his due, he will exalt. That's the first practice, to hold to God's promise in Jesus Christ by humbling ourselves to his call that is upon us in Christ. Well, chapter 49, we begin to see where Jacob begins to bless his sons. And this pours out of his humbling himself before God. And you'll hear that. After he blesses his grandsons and makes them his own son, he begins to bless each one of his sons. He knew that what God had given to him was not only for him. Listen to me, friends. Last week, I taught you a universal lesson of life. No debt goes unpaid, right? We talked about that last week. No debt goes unpaid. I'm going to teach you another universal life today, a universal lesson for life too. Every blessing from God comes with the stewardship. Every blessing from God comes with with a stewardship, which is a responsibility for the recipient to use it in the right way in accordance with God and his will. And that's what Jacob is doing here with his whole life. He's he's stewarding the blessing that God has placed upon him so that he can pass it on to others because he knows his life is coming to an end. And so he pronounces a blessing on each of his sons. And in so doing, he's passing his faith to each of them. And note this, each blessing, each blessing for the son. If you were to read through chapter 49, which we're not able to right now because of time, but each blessing is unique to the son. It it identifies some characteristics and traits about them, which quite frankly aren't, aren't always good. I mean, if you just read about Simeon and Levi there, they, they're brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. This is going negatively, right? It, it's headed down fast. But Jacob's saying, that's who you are, but I'm still gonna pass a blessing to you. 
It's unique, it's specific to each son. It recognizes who they are in the blessing that he bestows upon them. And, and then in verse 28 of chapter 49, it says this, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel. In other words, these are the 12 tribes by which God will grow and establish his people in the land of Egypt. And then it says, this is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Suitable to him. Here's the second practice I want to offer you today to build a perspective of life that's God honoring. Live to bless others and pass on the faith to the next generation. Live to bless others and pass on the faith to the next generation. You see, the greatest blessing one can bestow on others in life is our faith in Jesus. What does a blessing do? A, a blessing transfers something from God to others through us. That's what it does. Like when we bless someone, we, we can bless them out of our own uh, uh, affluence. We can best bless them out of our own strength. We can bless them out of our own desire and will. But that blessing, it only lasts as long as we can make it last which is terminal at best, or finite. That sounds better, doesn't it? But God's blessings do not cease with the bearer. They continue. And when we give them, we lose nothing, but people gain everything. We, we are considered instruments of God's hands that are able to bless others with what he has blessed us. So it transfers something from God to others through us. And, and what is transferred should be distinctive of God so that the recipient recognizes God's presence in the blessing. In other words, it shouldn't just be distinctive of us, which it will be that, but it should be distinctive also of God and of the hope that we have in him in our blessing. And that's what Jacob is working through here as he blesses each of his sons. When we bless others, we give to them according to how and to what God has blessed us. Parents, don't miss this critical application for raising your children. I'm making this one application, but I'll broaden it afterwards as well. Blessing others begins by blessing your children with faith in God. Jacob instilled it in his sons and his grandsons that the direction for his whole life came from God. And you know what? Everyone that receives the blessing knew how imperfect Jacob was. And yet they still knew that they could receive the blessing. Moses centers all of, all of life around this central practice in Deuteronomy 6.5. It, it, the whole point of the great Shema Israel, the Lord, uh, um, uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. The whole point of that is bestowing a blessing that God has put upon us on the next generation. We read of this in the New Testament, 2 Timothy uh, verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Paul looks at Timothy and he identifies, he tells him to fan into flame the gift of God that was handed down to you by your mother and by your grandmother. And so we see this practice. You see, your children need to know this and they need to know that you believe this. They need to know how you depend upon this. 
And they don't just need to know it at the end of your life. They'll need it for their lives after you're gone. They need to see it regularly in your life. But they'll only recognize it if they see you practice and live by it. And so I implore us, tell them repeatedly, repeatedly that Jesus is why we are who we are. The Bible reveals the way that we live. We trust God because he is true and he is right. He is holy and he is just. He is loving and he is compassionate. I mean literally branded in their brain and in the conscience of their life that they might forevermore hear your voice bestowing the blessing of God placed upon you being passed to them every day. And while living to bless others begins with your family, it's surely not limited only to the family. As we pass the faith on to our family, they become instruments through which we pass the faith on to the whole world, sharing and serving to show Jesus Christ through the gospel. That's why the local church is so critical for the Christian. It's that first place to fulfill Christian community for your life. You see, Christians live to bless others and to pass our faith on in Jesus to others with our whole life. You, you, you don't have to be biologically related in order to bestow this blessing on. There is a There is a family, listen to me, there is a family that is stronger than blood. It's faith. It's faith. Christians live to bless others and to pass our faith on in Jesus to others with our whole life. Genesis 50. Well, Jacob, at the end of Chapter 49, Jacob dies. They travel back to Canaan to bury him where Pharaoh had promised he could be buried. And when they returned to Egypt after the funeral, things had kind of settled down, but in the settling, some seeping had happened. And um, Jacob's brothers said, you know, what, what if now that dad's gone, what if Joseph begins to remember and what if he begins to seek vengeance for the things that we did to him now that dad's gone and, and he won't ever know it? But listen to these verses in chapter 50 that are so potent for us when this conversation transpires. Verse 15 of Genesis 50 records this. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear. For am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. 
Friend, if you want to know and believe anything about the Christian life from this last part of Genesis, it's this. There is more glory and more good in understanding life through the understanding of what God means to bring from it than there is in what man could dare to intend through it. I'm going to repeat that. There is more glory and good in understanding life in this way. Not looking at it to see what man intended to do in it. But in all of that, looking at it and waiting to see what God wants to bring through it. It will change the way you look at your whole life. It will change the way you understand everything. God's promise in Jesus Christ that holds us in our salvation tells us there will never be anything in our life that God will not bring good to us from it. That's what Romans 8.28 is all about. And we know for those that love the Lord who are called according to His purpose, good comes to us from all things. Why? Because God brings it to us. That is is the promise that we have in Jesus Christ. That is the promise we hold to because we see the way that God works when we hold to his promise. We don't look at things in the way that people intended it against us. We look at the way, we look at things in life in the way that God wants to bring good to us through it. When you live anchoring With this anchoring conviction of such a promise, it empowers you to live distinctively because of it. And that's the the third practice. Live to repay every evil with good. Live to repay every evil with good. Verse 21, Joseph comforts his brothers in their fear that he might exact vengeance upon them. You see, the New Testament applies this practice for us in this way. Romans 12, 21 says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the power of the gospel, friends. That every evil perpetrated and intended and carried out against us does not have to be matched in response or reply. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. 1 Peter 3.9 Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. You see, Christians do not live this way because it's what we ought to do, which it is. Christians counter evil with good because of what we know to be true of God, because of what we know to be true of the world, because of what we know to be true of our whole lives. Christians counter evil with good because that's how God has met us in the gospel. He took the unrighteous wickedness of our own sinful nature And he bestowed upon us his righteousness. 
And this is why we were called to faith in Jesus Christ. This is our highest and most glorious hope that will never fade, perish, or spoil. We live by the power of God that overcomes evil by good. By good. Now, what makes Jacob and Joseph so notable that the study of them brings value and benefit and help to us? Well, here's what I promised you. This is my own words. Again, this is scripture. Hebrews chapter 11. What is Hebrews 11? It's the hall of fame of faith, right? Verse 21 marks Jacob's greatest accomplishment when it says, By faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. His greatest accomplishment was that he finished the course of life by blessing the next generation with what God had blessed him. And the very next verse, verse 22, cites Joseph's finest hour when he foretells of the exodus. This is a man who was focused on the future, was it not? The first futurist, you might say. Verse 22 says, By faith Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Scripture records Jacob and Joseph as the model of faith for us because of this characteristic. That in the midst of all the imperfection of their lives, they held to God's promise as their highest hope, their greatest glory, and their first priority for all of life. And the way they understood their whole life and the whole world, their life perspective, was by believing God's promise. Christians live a distinct life perspective because of the glorious promise that's given to us in Jesus Christ. And so I say we discern all things to understand the world and all of life by the promise of God in Jesus Christ. Friends, do you look to Jesus to understand all things? Do you look to Jesus to return good for evil? To not revile in return for being reviled? but to bless? Are you discerning all the hardships in life by the as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, confident of the promise that God will bring good to you through it? Holding a God-centered, gospel-fueled perspective of life when hard and confusing times hit begins by walking daily with Jesus. Let's pray.